0: Leonardo da Vinci's version of The Last Supper is one of the most famous paintings in the world. And although it is a masterpiece of art, most people are unaware that it is an incorrect depiction of the event from start to finish. To get the true biblical picture, stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Once again, I have with me uh, Annie Thrasher, who is the Executive Director of the Bible Times Learning Center in Ein Karim, a suburb of Jerusalem. And uh, we are just delighted to have her to uh, serve as an expert for us concerning uh, the Last Supper. And we're going to show you how important it is to understand Hebrew background in order to understand the Scriptures. Now, for example, here is one of the most famous paintings in all the world. It's a painting by Leonardo da Vinci. It has great color, it has great perspective. There is no doubt this man was one of the world's great painters. Mm. But the problem was, he knew nothing about Hebrew culture. And therefore, the painting is incorrect in many ways. Yes. Okay, Annie, tell us about it.
1: Well, first, the most obvious is that the Passover meal begins at sunset. Well, when you can see three stars That's in the sky... lots of daylight back here. Right. So if three stars in the sky indicate sunset, there's nothing there but a nice blue Italian sky. <laughs> so for beginning, from the very beginning, you notice that it's at the wrong time of day. Now, the colors. You notice that there's a great deal of blue used in here. Blue, well what do they call it, royal blue, Mm -hmm. royal purple? These colors were so rare at the time of the first century that only the royals could wear it. So who these disciples, uh, maybe fishermen, maybe tax collectors, I don't know, but they uh, definitely are wearing blue. So that's inaccurate. Then at the Passover table, of course, you would have... uh, A stew made from lamb, so you would have bowls on the table for that. And the only thing I see on here is some fish. Now, it doesn't mean they couldn't have fish for Passover, but of course they have to have lamb because that's what the Bible says to eat for Passover. Also, it says that you should uh, drink wine. I don't see any wine bottles on the (laughs) table. In fact,
0: you have like four glasses of wine at a Passover meal, right?
1: Yes, Mm. absolutely. So you would see uh, some jars of of wine. uh, And speaking of jars, you should have a jar of water Mm. here because as part of the ritual you would wash your hands and the servant would wash the hands of everyone there before they would even handle food so there's no nothing in this picture that indicates where the servant even is
0: what about this long table
1: well isn't it beautifully done (laughs) i think this is some fine italian embroidery also in blue here but most of all in the first century in this part of the world The uh, Hebrew people generally were allowed once a year to sit around a Roman-style table called a triclinium Mm -hmm. with three sides. And it had the most important side and the least important Mm -hmm. side. And that way you always knew where the important people were seated and who was supposed to be the servant. Okay. Now, obviously, this is not like a U. It's a beautifully done long table indicating well, where's the most important person in this picture? Right in the center. Yes, and that is our problem with Renaissance art, <laughs> is that very often we don't understand what what Jesus is actually saying because we don't understand the culture. This is not where the most important person would sit. Oh. So, there you have some things right there, and well, that's just beginning. What about sitting? Well, you've got a good point there sitting would not be the way to do this if you were in fact seated around the Roman table well you would be actually reclining a Roman table is low to the ground so you would recline
0: like a one elbow
1: absolutely you yeah. would be resting on your left elbow and eating your food with your right because yes, the right hand is always used for blessings oh you eat with your right hand you bless with your right hand you eat with your right hand, and the left hand is used for something else entirely. Oh, right.
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> now, the right hand, I think sometimes when we hear in churches, uh, let's have the right hand of Christian fellowship, it means more now, it should, that you understand that this is the correct hand for blessings. Yes. So Well,
0: you've given us a good summary there of the things wrong mm-hmm. with this painting. How about showing us how it probably really looked?
1: I'd be delighted. Okay. You'll see behind me a triclinium. This is the typical Roman style table that has three sides. On the right side of the U is where the most important people would be seated, and then at the far left side of the U would be the servants' area. In this arrangement, you will see that during the Passover, only at the time of the Passover, could the people completely recline as if they were free people. Of course, Passover is called the festival of our freedom, and for those celebrating at Jesus' time, they were thrilled to be having this great festival where they could go up to the Holy City, see friends from different villages that would come up to worship the King of King and the Lord of Lord in the City of Holiness, they were rejoicing that they could remember one more time about the great wonderful things that God did for them when they were slaves in Egypt and celebrate this great time of freedom so you see when the disciples came into this room that was furnished and ready for them their excitement was overwhelming because they were going to have an amazing teacher Jesus himself was going to tell the story of the Passover and the festival of freedom Jesus sent Peter and John ahead to prepare the feast. He said, go into the town, follow a man carrying a large jug of water. Go to the homeowner and say to him, the teacher says he will celebrate the feast at your home. There he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare the feast. Behind me, of course, you see the triclinium that was being prepared by Peter and by John. This was a huge responsibility because the room had to be perfect, it had to be made clean, it had to be made without leaven, meaning no breadcrumbs in the house, everything clean. Because for Passover, it is a symbol of us, our people, we being cleansed of all unleavened as we go into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, the week of Passover, we have an argument going on between the disciples. One said, I should sit on the right hand of Jesus, and the said, I should sit on the left hand. Who is going to be seated in the right and the left in the most important places when we come into the kingdom? And Jesus said, that's the end. This is not the way this is supposed to be. Let me tell you, when you go to a feast, do not sit yourself where the most important people would sit. That would be at my right. Because if the host comes in and there's someone more important than you, how terrible it would be because he would have to raise you up and say, please, let's go to another spot. And then you would, of course, lose face and be very embarrassed. He says then, when you go to a feast, seat yourself in the servant's seat and then wait. The host may come in, he may raise you up and put you in the higher place, the special place." So, at the Passover meal that was to become the Last Supper, where were the most important people seated and where were the servants? At the Passover Last Supper, we have the room furnished and ready perfectly. Peter and John have done their job. We have the most important people seated here, and they are seated across from the servants on this side. Why? so that they can catch the attention of the servants if they needed anything during the course of the meal. You will notice that next to the lowliest of servants we have a basin, a pitcher of water, and a towel. Everyone used their hands for eating and usually out of a common bowl. So of course you want to have clean hands. So your job as the servant is to get up and wash the hands, but you have failed in your duty. Because Jesus had to get up and do your job. Now we read in the Gospel that at one point at the meal, Jesus took off his outer garment, his festival garment, and he had to lay this aside. Then he took a towel. He wrapped this towel around him. And then he picked up the basin and the pitcher. And he went around the whole outside of the triclinium to wash the feet of the disciples. In this culture, the feet are the most reprehensible, dirty, terrible part of the whole body. So instead of washing the hands, to wash the feet was just mortifying to any of the disciples. Now, Jesus' seat is here. Not one, but two. Jesus would have had to get up, and go around the table starting with the most important people and then ending with the servant. There are several indications that the servant who failed in his duty was Peter. Peter seated in the lowest seat. Now the reason for this is that in the Gospels it explains that Jesus went around the table washing the disciples' feet, humbling them but When he got to Peter, the last one mentioned, Peter said, Lord, you cannot wash my feet. Jesus said, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can have no part of me. In other words, he wanted to see, Peter, look, be a servant. Be like me. I will wash your feet. You will see that this is how a servant behaves. But Peter was so mortified that he didn't know what to do with himself finally he got it and said okay okay Lord then wash my head wash my hands wash me all over typical Peter overdoing it but realizing that he had missed the mark and yet Jesus was giving him one more chance at my right hand side there are three seats that are the most important seats in the second seat we have the place where the host would sit the host of course as I mentioned before but have his eye on the servant over here. Now the host, he would be the one at a Passover who would be telling the story on this night, when night begins and three stars are seen in the heaven, then we know that the holiday has begun. And it is said in the Bible that he who tells the story of the Passover at great length will be praised. So, during the course of this evening, Jesus would be telling the whole story of the Exodus, of the people going down into Egypt, of them becoming enslaved, crying out to God, the plagues coming as Moses is brought into the picture to ask Pharaoh to let the people go. Now, Jesus would not just be telling the story, he would also be singing psalms of praise with people and the praise songs that are sung during this meal are Psalms 113 through 118 and there would probably be not just storytelling and songs but dancing in great joy because remember this is the festival of freedom now when you have a Passover next to the host who is telling the story you have the youngest in the family why? you have to tell the youngest the story as if he has never heard the story so that the youngest there will hear it and be able to begin to memorize it to remember the great joy of this holiday because this is a holiday that the Bible says you will celebrate this every year from generation to generation forever so the host's job is to teach the youngest at the meal the full story of the exodus and the redemption of the people and John is the youngest. So, we have John seated right next to Jesus where Jesus can then tell him the story as if he was the youngest and says was John the younger. Now, at one point in the meal Jesus makes the statement, a startling statement. He says, one of you will betray me. And then John, it says, leaned his head into Jesus and said, Is it I, Lord? And Jesus said, The one who dips with me. And he dipped into the sop and took the choice morsel of lamb and gave it to Judas Iscariot. He then said to Judas, Whatever you do, do quickly. And Judas got up from the table and left and went into the night. If seat two was the seat of the host, and obviously the elder or the most important person at the Feast, and the younger one at a Passover is seat number one, and this seat number three would then be what? The most honored guest, and he was the most trusted guest. The reason being, as Jesus is seated here, and John can lean into him, so Jesus can lean into the guest in seat number three that's correct that's good now this person literally is to watch the hosts back that's why he is so trusted now can you imagine the idea of Peter saying to himself what is Judas that zealot doing sitting next to Jesus John of course I understand he helped prepare the feast but what about Peter me I should be seated next to Jesus but instead Judas is sitting there. I think that perhaps Peter missed the mark of what he was supposed to be doing in being in the servant's position because he expected Jesus to raise him up. And not only did Jesus not raise him up, he let Judas sit in the most honored, trusted seat. Now, why would this also be the most trusted place? Because whoever is here must protect completely the back of the person sitting to his right the host and judas's name judas's name meant the knife his name was judah the knife he was a zealot and he was like a gangster and this man sitting here jesus trusted knowing he had already betrayed him and that any time the one seated behind him could very easily now don't jump Just take and slit this throat. This is why the person seated here, in place number three, had to be a most trusted friend. At the end of the Exodus story, the main character has to be the lamb. Nine plagues came upon all the people of Egypt. These people were plagued by everything that would mock their gods, from gnats to lice to hail. But the last, the very last plague, would affect the Hebrew people also. And this was the plague of the death of the firstborn. Now the first nine were seen as signs and wonders. These signs and wonders were to show the people whose god is God. And of course, they realized that the God of the Hebrew people were very powerful because he defeated all of the Egyptian gods. And now we have the 10th plague, and people came, and they said, how can we escape this? Because the Hebrews had not been touched by the other plagues. So he said, take a lamb, a perfect lamb, a lamb without spot or blemish, a male lamb, and at the door of your home... You shall take the lamb and slay the lamb. This lamb shall be roasted and the meat taken and made into a stew that all can eat. And then you shall take the blood from this lamb and put it upon the lentils and upon the doorpost of your home. Now, all those that believe in the Hebrew God, in the God of Israel, if you will come into that house that is covered by the blood of the lamb, you will be saved. You shall eat the lamb and make bread. Make bread quickly. Make it so quickly that you can eat it with your lamb, and then with staff in hand and sandals on your feet, be ready, because at midnight a cry will go out all of all of Egypt. And at that time, the Pharaoh and the people will say, leave the country, go to the land of promise. And then God will show himself in a pillar of fire. And he will lead the people out of Egypt by a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day. And they will be led to the promised land. Now, we talked about the Passover and how important the Lamb was, but in the week of Passover, as I mentioned earlier, we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, Unleavened Bread, of course, means it's pure, it's humble, and the blessing over the bread and over the wine must be done. Now, in the case of the Passover, according to the Gospel, after Judas left, then Jesus took the bread, And he took the cup, and this is the cup that you would drink after you told the story of the judgments and the redemption from the Lamb. So it's called the cup of redemption. And with this bread and with this wine, Jesus made the new covenant, saying, this is my body, this is my blood. Do this, eat this often, and remember me. Just like the Passover is to be remembered every year, Jesus took these elements that are a part of the Passover and said, now, you, the community of faith, you can come together, do this often, and remember me. Now, it's customary for a man to do the blessing, and so i am asked Sacher if he would do this in Hebrew and then repeat it in English. Baruchata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam, Horeh Pri Hagafen. Blessed are You, O Lord, our God, King of the Universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Baruchat Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam, Chamotzi Lechem Min Haaretz. Last are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the bread from the earth. Amen.
0: Well, Annie, I want to thank you and Soccer once again for the wonderful teaching that you have given us. I mean, it just has helped us to understand so many things that I'm sure most of us have never understood before. And you've covered so much. How about giving us a recap right here at the end, a summary of what you've presented?
1: Well, again, in looking and thinking about the da Vinci picture, we know that the table was probably completely wrong, okay? <laughs> we know that if, in fact this was a Passover meal, which I believe it was, then where's the lamb? Where's the wine? Why is the bread puffy? We now know it needed to be unleavened bread. Mm -hmm. It needed to be a simple meal. It was meant to be a festival meal. I don't see too much on Da Vinci's table that indicated that there were great fruits from the (laughs) springtime and an abundance of what God has given. This is a time where we remember the great abundance that God gifted his people with. And so, where is it on the table? And why the fish? We do notice, though, that there was a knife in someone's hand. So maybe that indicated it was Judas. But of course, where are they? Where are they portrayed in his picture? Uh, quite. Honestly, we know now that John had to rest into Jesus, and Jesus had to dip in with Judas, so that is correct. And probably poor Peter just missed the mark one more time. <laughs> but then again, you know, he had to learn to be that servant if he was indeed given the keys to the kingdom.
0: That's a lifelong long process for all of us to learn.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely, and it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to accept. But I think most of all, I think that as believers... Very often, one misses the fact that that blood of the lamb is like the blood of Jesus, that he was the lamb slain from the very foundation of the earth. And the revelation talks about how we need that blood on the lintel and on the doorpost of our hearts, and that Jesus will knock on that door. Amen. And he will come and sup with us. And I think that supper that we're looking for is that bread and that wine that indicated reconciliation at the end of this Passover Last Supper meal.
0: Well, thank you again for that wonderful teaching. And I want to bring this to a conclusion by reminding you of something. And that is that that night, Jesus said that He is one day going to return to eat this supper with us again. And He said every time we take of that cup, we are to remember His promise that He is coming again. As we bring this study of the Last Supper to a close I'd like to introduce you to a modern day painting of the event that is much more historically accurate than the famous one by Leonardo da Vinci. This painting was done by a lady named Marilyn Todd Daniels. She serves as a professor of art at Collin College located in a suburb of Dallas, Texas. As you can easily see, it is far more accurate than the painting done by da Vinci. You can get a print of this painting through the artist's website, which is located at www.woodsonginstitute.com. I would suggest that you consider purchasing one, getting it framed, and then presenting it to your church, so that other people can get a more accurate idea of what the Last Supper really looked like. You could also use the print as a valuable resource tool in teaching about the Last Supper. Next week, the Lord willing, we'll be back at Bible Times Learning Center in Ein Karim, Israel with our hostess Annie Thrasher to talk about crucifixion techniques used by the Romans during the time of Jesus. What she has to share on this topic will help you better understand what Jesus suffered when He died for the sins of the world. If you would like to find out more information about the Bible Times Learning Center, you can find it at the website address you see on the screen. It is a wonderful place to visit, and it is a ministry that can use your financial support. If you'd like to make a donation to the work of this ministry, just send your check to us here at Lamb & Lion Ministries at the address you see on the screen. Designate it for the Bible Times Learning Center, and we'll see that it gets to Annie Thrasher and her staff. Well, that's our program for this week. I hope you can be back with us again next week when we will focus on the crucifixion. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. The program you viewed today is one of four powerful videos included on the Life in Bible Times DVD. In these videos, you'll learn about nomadic living, the Last Supper, crucifixion techniques, and burial customs in the first century. In Nomadic Living, you'll visit the tent of a Jewish family and learn about their daily life and customs. In the Last Supper, you'll take a critical look at da Vinci's depiction of the Last Supper and find out what the Last Supper was really like. An investigation of crucifixion techniques will deepen your understanding of the agony of Christ during His execution and the painful price that was paid for our redemption and a masterful explanation of ancient Hebrew burial customs will add to your understanding of the events surrounding the burial and resurrection of Jesus. These videos were shot on location at the Bible Times Learning Center in Israel and feature the teaching of Annie Thrasher and the staff of the Bible Times Learning Center. Life in Bible Times is available for a gift of $15 or more. Call today and mention Life in Bible Times.